Asset Arrest, your global agent for accessing the property you can't afford. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Asset Arrest, a podcast about financialised housing, real estate and its impact upon communities, the meaning of community, ways of living and urban space. I'm Laura Yule and in each episode I typically invite a guest to attend a viewing of a residential property with me and we pose as potential buyers or renters. Guests are invited to talk about their own work, to share their knowledge and experiences on related issues and to respond to the property that we view together and its place within a wider urban and global context. Asset Arrest now has a Patreon account which you can find at patreon.com forward slash Asset Arrest So please do consider subscribing and supporting the project if you enjoy the podcasts. I work on this project alone and any contributions would help me maintain and sustain it in the longer term as well as expanding the possibilities of what Asset Arrest could do. Support starts from as little as $1 per month and depending what you pledge there are many great rewards including reading lists, Asset Arrest t-shirts and key rings. I'm recording this introduction from my home in Barking, London where I've been in self-isolation for around six or seven weeks now. This episode is set in London once again with a series of viewings that take place just before the coronavirus crisis was really acknowledged in a serious way in the UK. This was recorded around two weeks before official lockdown in the UK started and it already feels like a very long time ago. Joining me for this episode is Ollie Mould who is a lecturer in human geography at Royal Holloway University of London. Ollie's work focuses on issues of urban activism, social theory and creative resistance. He is author of Against Creativity, published by Verso in 2018, and Urban Subversion and the Creative City, published by Routledge in 2015. Against Creativity examines the ways in which creativity is heralded as the driving force of our contemporary society, shaping the cities we inhabit and defining our politics as it is celebrated as progressive and liberating. Capitalism of the 20th century redefined creativity in order to facilitate its own growth, and ultimately reproduce the status quo. Ollie goes on to offer a redefinition of creativity, one situated outside of profit and embedded in the idea of collective flourishing. Check it out if you haven't read it already, and Ollie also blogs at tacity.co.uk if you want to find more of his writing. Ollie expressed an interest in viewing property at a development in Poplar called Blackwall Reach, which is situated beside and apparently on the site of the famous social housing estate Robin Hood Gardens. I was also keen to return to Balfron Tower with him, as it's perhaps one of the most blatant examples of art washing to have taken place in London in recent years. But in the end, Balfron Tower were not currently conducting viewings, um, for what reason I'm not sure. And so we settled on spending a morning visiting a few different properties. We start at Blackwell Reach, move on to 10 and 1 Park Drive in neighbouring Canary Wharf. And finally, we visit the Canary Wharf branch of co-living chain The Collective, which I'd been eyeing up for a while. Ollie and I met at the Republic Complex by East India Dock DLR station, a regular haunt of mine until recently as I lived nearby in Poplar and went to the branch of Pure Gym situated there. The area has undergone a huge transformation over the past five years or so. The site has been an office campus since the 1990s and it's also home to the Tower Hamlets London Borough Council. The postmodern building shells still remain and despite a proposal to replace them with residential accommodation in 2015, the developer's trilogy real estate favoured repositioning the site as a, and I'm quoting here, not using my own words, live, work, play environment, whatever that is. So it's now known as Republic. It's a revamped multi-use office campus with a couple of gyms, two cafes, and a large number of empty commercial units. 
They undertook extensive landscaping over the waterways and outdoor spaces, and you can now find plants, sun loungers and meeting pods adorning the decking. According to the Wikipedia page, plans were also submitted to construct Europe's longest open-air swimming pool, but I guess these plans were not approved. Artist Scott King designed the building's facade, referencing the socialist project Cybersyn and pictorial depictions of Utopia. It was spoken of as potentially being the new Shoreditch and an important creative hub, with the founder of Trilogy Property, Robert Wollstenholme, stating that, as Poplar is poised to become the next big thing, he is hoping that Republic will give the area a vibe. A video on Republic's website goes on to tell us that intent fosters productivity, integrity builds community, inspiration creates innovation, collaboration creates innovation, and so on, you get the idea. So this is where we begin our tour. We are in East India Docks, um, about to go and view a property at Blackwall Reach, which is a development you know of, right? Yes, yes, a development that is uh, in place of Wobbinder Gardens, which was demolished, which is in the process is of being demolished. Is that going to be expanding into the actual, the, the land of Robin Hood Gardens? That's right, yeah. I ah. mean, so they've already knocked down one building of Robin Hood Gardens and they've, they've encroached into it. The other building looking really surrounded now yeah uh, but yeah it will eventually be okay. landscaped I didn't know it was so big and it seems to be like uh, just from trying to book a viewing there there's different like agencies and things managing or selling different parts of it that's right it's a big site um, you know incorporates Robin Hood Gardens and the sort of surrounding areas um, yeah it's been quite controversial for a number of different reasons and then we're going to be taken to see something that's a bit more expensive in Canary Wharf, right. which they told me is apparently the only new apartment development that is actually officially inside Canary Wharf, right. rather than like technically just outside of it. Okay. So it's actually within the land that's owned by China, essentially, I guess. Well, Canary, yeah, I guess it's the Canary Wharf PLC owned the, the sort of land. And yeah, they're, they're, yeah. A, they're a sort of multinational conglomerate. Yeah. But this one, I haven't. Um, I, I, I'm not familiar with it. It's okay, fine. Park well, drive or something. Okay. Um, well, it'll be fun to see. Yeah, and I guess we are a couple looking to buy somewhere to live in. They probably won't ask any questions. Well, that's good. <laughs> well, um, they, they asked my budget, and that's all they asked, really. But, okay. um, well, just looking for somewhere to live within commutable distance of. Wolf, that's I, yeah, yeah, I've got a new job course. there, quite a high-flying tech job, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe I have a studio here, but not that there's, I don't think they have studios here. But yeah, I thought this location, I mean, your work is all around, well, that I've encountered ideas of the creative city that's and correct, creativity. Yes. Yeah, so it's thinking about how the city changes in response to capitalist pressures, which has been masked by this word creativity, which tends to give it a slightly neutral edge, but really it just masks all the usual problems of you know, displacement, precariousness and all the other horrible things that gentrification tends to impair. And it's certainly something that's used by real estate and property developers in this area of London, especially. Yeah. They use it in their language, they use it in their promotional stuff, they use it on the hoardings, and yeah, it's just... There's, yeah, a lot of the property around here seems to really um, try and sell this idea that it's the perfect location that blends the kind of financial world of Canary Wharf with the artistic world of, right. you know, like Hackney or the rest of East yeah. London, which is kind of an absurd thing, like who is that person that's looking for that particular mix? Like that is... Yeah, it's a fantasy. I guess you're, you're, they're selling a particular fantasy of what is now considered to be the ultimate global city citizen, which is a creative class type person who uses their creativity but gets millions of pounds because of it. It's this sort of archetypal neoliberal subject. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's the sort of fantasy which they're selling. And, and I guess it works for people. Well, it works for the real estate companies, yeah. <laughs> if they can, If they can 
secure a profit if they build, you know, knock down loads of social housing and build a project like that and make a excess number of millions of pounds, then their job is done, right? Their shareholders are happy, and the people that lose their house because of it, well, that's not, that's not their concern. But yeah, so it, it's creativity has become a real kind of a whole set of languages around that, which really push this to the to the, you know to the to the extreme. What got you interested in that? Like, I mean, what, creativity, broadly, yeah, like the well, idea. Of- it was really, I mean, basically, I started off as a, in a think tank like ten years ago. Yeah, more than 10 years ago looking at the creative industries as this sort of political okay. concept and I was working like in the sort of dying embers of the new Labour government and it became very obvious to me very quickly that they were just a sort of emperor's new clothes they were just a real just a rehash mm. of all the old existing problems so I scuttled back to academia with my tail between my legs and tried to critique the creativity rhetoric from the, from that position and you know the creative city is part of that creative class a creative economy there were different slight nuances of the term but really it's about kind of the neoliberalization of uh, in the city's case real estate to flog it to a particular group of people is it specific to the global city do you think no i mean depending how you define the global city i mean london new york Tokyo, Paris, LA, all these big metropolises, they, they've been experiencing this stuff for many, many years, mm. but it's, it is filtering down into sort of small and medium, perhaps ordinary cities. Yeah, and definitely in the UK, I in think. In the UK, yeah. I've got some, sorry, I've got some um, PhD student and she's doing some work at Coventry on exactly this and how oh, Coventry yeah, okay, through yeah. the city of culture is. So it, it is, and, and but what they're doing is they're replicating almost exactly the same process. They even hire the same people, the same companies. So it's it's kind of replicating it, and it's becoming creating these kind of this homogenous kind of policy vehicle, which just very quickly can kind of be steamrolled through a city to kind of change how it looks, how it feels, to be all this sort of creativity rhetoric. You know, with like we're looking around us at sort of sculpted public furniture and nice fountains, and you know, it all looks very lovely, but it it's all designed for the same purpose. You know, to kind of streamline and funnel money towards a particular group of people. Around the corners, the delivery. HQ oh, really? or like one of their eight, you one know, like the place. Yeah, yeah, okay. I went there to kind of sign up as a delivery rider, kind of out of interest, and mm. it's yeah, it's just insane. Basically, you show up, they give anyone the equipment, the equipment. I mean, like the clothes, yeah. and they send you off, having obviously not checked your vehicles safe or you have anything, exactly. it's like the, any yeah, the, knowledge how to ride a bike or just the, kind of the gig <laughs> economy. I mean, that's it, it, that's part of it. It's kind of it, the gig economy. I guess is the sort of latest iteration of that creative mindset like you can be flexible you know, mm. it gives you flexible autonomous work and you know but at the same time it takes away your sick benefit your maternity yeah. pay well maybe we should walk and talk now yeah, yeah it yeah. would be I'm curious but also concerned <laughs> to yeah. see how the coronavirus links out in terms well, of the freelance gig economy precarious workers there was a bit of reluctance wasn't there to change the sick pay laws to allow people to if they feel they should stay self-isolate to feel they can do without losing their pay yeah so, you know, so maybe the neoliberal mindset for years it's been you know people in charge have been led to believe or have you know resolutely been schooled that society is there to pump up the economy and suddenly we're realizing that it needs to be the other way around and they just don't know how to how to how to do that they don't know how to make the economy make work. the shift you can see blackwall reach in front of us there don't we? Yeah, I think we're maybe going in that tall part. We're viewing, I think it's a penthouse on like the 23rd floor or something. Before we hear our post-viewing thoughts, let's hear what the brochure has to say about Blackwall Reach. Blackwall Reach, a place called home. Opulence unlike anywhere else. 
Imagine a place where every view is spectacular. Imagine a place where one of the most glamorous cities in the world is on your doorstep, ready to cater for your most extravagant whim. Formerly pioneering a 1960s urban estate, Blackwall Reach has been designed to engender the same sense of community as its historic predecessor. Building upon its existing legacy, the new enhanced landscaped areas at Blackwall Reach make it the ideal place to relax, socialise and network. With mesmerising views of one of the world's most iconic cities sprawling over the horizon, the penthouse apartments at Royal Capitan Court are in a prime location with the city at your feet. I should mention that the 1960s urban estate referred to by the brochure but not named is, of course, the Robin Hood Gardens estate, which was designed by Alison and Peter Smithson and completed in 1972. It was built as a council housing estate with homes spread across streets in the sky with broad aerial walkways in long concrete blocks. There has been an ongoing heated debate as to whether or not the building successfully realised the architect's ambitions of providing a more enjoyable way of living and a new mode of urban organisation. In 2008, a campaign was launched to get Robin Hood Gardens listed as a historical landmark in order to save it from demolition, with support from Richard Rogers and the late Zaha Hadid. Hadid considered it her favourite building in London. However, English Heritage did not back the proposal and the campaign drew very little support from those who actually lived in the building, with more than 75% of residents supporting its demolition. No other work of British social housing has divided opinion to such a great extent. Now back to our walk from Blackwall to the heart of Canary Wharf. Um, yeah, what did you think of that penthouse and general experience? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of... It's, it's easy to revert into sort of type. Yeah. You feel like, oh yeah, no, I can see how, you know, you think, oh yeah, I could live here, yeah, I could do this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You sort of think, you get intoxicated by the... Oh, it's very like... It's alluring, I guess that's kind of the I mean, point. the view... The views are incredible. Is, is and definitely it's in, impressive. It's interesting that they had the different kinds of views listed on the... on that bit of paper we brought out that said, this is the price and the, and the, and the aspects, it's actually listed. Oh yeah, so the price is dependent. The price is uh, dependent so upon which you've got. angle you get. And it made me think because you know I've been up in the Balfron a few times, and the view from the Balfron is exactly the same. And yeah. And you get, and the whole point about the Balfron is that oh well, you're paying for the views because you know, clearly poor, poor people aren't allowed to have those kind of views because they're too nice. Yeah, it, it really did feel sort of um, a case of well, this is. You're, you're paying for the, for the view. And a view isn't, you know, as a cultural geographer, I always tell my students that a, a view is not just a sort of an added benefit. It's, it's the whole point of, yeah. you know, it's about power, it's about being able to lift yourself above the city. Yeah, it's about feeling disconnected from things in a certain way. Yeah, feeling like you kind of, there's an ownership, a kind of, and that's, you know, what. But when did this like high-rise living with a view become such a luxury rather than? I mean, like yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it, it, it comes. So there's a big um, geographical set of scholarship around fact of the city movement. Mm. So post-war, everyone was moving out of the suburbs. Yeah. Because it was horrible in the, in the city, and obviously all the money followed them. But now, with the changing of sort of family lifestyles and the changes of cultures and tastes inner city living became cool and it became something which people really wanted to do and it 
and that was kind of in the sort of it, it, you know it was part of the sort of boom of the financial trade, part of neoliberal Thatcherism, Reaganism, all that sort of stuff. And so you have a back to the city movement, and that's when high rise living became a thing. In mm. New York, with loft living, that was a sort okay, of yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, artists and moving a fashionable in. thing. Yeah, and so it became something which... It's also, I guess, I mean, it works places like London and New York because there are so many iconic buildings and people want exactly. a few of that to feel connected to the city and also kind of removed from the dirt of exactly. being it's, on street level. But it, that's it. It's so it, and, and that plays into the whole um, ownership, like sort of owning a piece of land, or you feel like you've kind of own the city in some way. Yeah, yeah. Liberalism is all about ownership, it's about private property, it's about privatisation, gated communities, you know, you have to little fucky to get in, keys to get in, etc. Sort of viewing the, the city sprawled out before mm. in a way which is of complete safety. So, he kind yeah. of set it up, I mean, I, I thought like I've never heard anyone say oh my approach to selling is to not sell which seems like such a kind of manipulative statement because you're exactly I was right. literally like oh wow this is like the ultimate selling move isn't it to say that the next development consisted of two buildings one park drive and ten park drive so let's hear what their respective brochures have to say those that live at ten park drive will be joining a dynamic new neighborhood with an enormous variety of shops, cafes and restaurants, as well as rich programme of exhibitions, performances and events. Canary Wharf Group's careful stewardship of its private estate over the past 30 years has made it one of the safest, best-maintained, connected and most vibrant districts in the capital. It remains committed to creating a richly diverse community for living, working and relaxing. An apartment on the great estate will be an address to treasure, an address to be proud of. The colourful world of Canary Wharf. The magic of sculpture on every corner. Canary Wharf has always understood the important role art can play in enhancing the quality of the public realm. Canary Wharf is a leading cultural destination. Canary Wharf has its own personality, sense of confidence and a special character. It's the colourful cultural environment that changes week to week. One Park Drive by Herzog and de Muron, a vision of 21st century urban living in Canary Wharf. A note from Sir George Lacobescu, CBE, Chairman and CEO of the Canary Wharf Group, PLC. When we started Canary Wharf, we had a vision. We wanted to create not just a collection of exceptional buildings, but a place. One Park Drive represents the best of Canary Wharf, as our private estate develops into a new destination for London. Canary Wharf is one of the world's great urban spaces, the buzzing hub of the greatest city on earth. Until now, you could only experience this as a visitor or by working here. Now you can own a property in Canary Wharf. One Park Drive is a single building made up of three distinct typologies. Each typology evolved from a re-examination of city living, has its own distinct characteristics, whilst also working together as a harmonious whole. The viewing here consisted of a high-tech presentation in the sales and marketing suite, which was situated on the 23rd floor of the One Canada Square building. The suite and the architectural models were probably the most impressive I've seen yet, and the brochures the most hardback and lavish, so I encourage you to book an appointment and have a look for yourself. Now back to our walk from Canary Wharf to Cross Harbour. Okay, we're, we've made it out of, what was it, 10 Park Drive? Park Drive? 10 Park Drive, yeah. yeah. 
Ten and one park. Ten and one park drive. <laughs> Solved the mystery of the Herzog and what's it called? Building. What, what are those architects called? I don't know. Yeah. Herzog and de Mule, yeah, something. Yeah, Famous <laughs> building. Yeah, iconic new building. What was it? Three typologies. Typologies. Typologies of yeah. living quarters. Or oh yeah, there's one of the brochures is called typologies. Yeah. I think we go down here. Um, very bizarre and uh, spectacular presentation. It was. It was a performance piece, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what a reference to the phrase. Things being user friendly. Lots of community. community and what was it? The gated community without the gates. Without the gates, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which kind of, yeah. The final, the finishing touch for Canary Wharf. Well, that's now right. That it's got the infrastructure, it's got all the shops. They didn't want to build it before, which is interesting because the whole place was built because the whole place was designed to be a sort of um, fake cluster. And they actually built the infrastructure first. They built, when they they built the DLR first before they built any of the office buildings. Oh. You could get the DLR to a wasteland if you wanted to back in 1980, ah. whatever it was. So, yeah. And now they're finally doing the um, the residential bit, which is... Finally. Over here, you know, the missing piece of this jigsaw. The missing piece you know, of this, 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 this wonderful jigsaw. Yeah, it's, it's somewhere to live in this hellhole, you know. <laughs> but she was very keen to stress the, the community living and the ease at which we could get to the to places, you know, the three minute walk to the tube station and the gym. Yeah. The luxury gym with the climbing wall and Oh yeah, which would be £175 a month. Which is as a regular person. I'm really bad with direction. Do you want me to look do you want me to find it? I'll do it. Lotus Chinese floating restaurant. I know this area better than her. She didn't know about that Chinese restaurant. Uh have you said what you've got? The collective Cross Harbour Plaza. Yeah, by the Chinese restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that one. I feel a bit depressed after that. Yes, it was certainly um, something which confirmed all the sort of problems I have with these kinds of living spaces. The incredible service charge, which. Extortionately high. Was it seven grand or something? Yeah. It's like renting a cheap apartment or an expensive room on top of paying your mortgage or buying a place or whatever. Yeah, an extra 50 grand for a parking spot, well. Yeah, one-off payment though. No. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, that's, that, in my head, yeah, it was a lot more <laughs> impressive or something, I don't know. <laughs> I did genuinely inquire about that place some time ago. And What's interesting about that place is that it's, uh, well, it looks to me like a sort of hideously parametrically designed piece of it looks like you know it's it's almost it's, it's neoliberal architecture yeah yeah. You know, it's probably been designed by an algorithm what did she say they designed something famous uh in china the, the olympic the olympic um the bird's nest oh the stadium ah yeah yeah, yeah. okay so um yeah i mean the whole thing was a performance and she was selling a particular atmosphere particular kind of you know this fake community yeah I mean, it does make, I feel quite flattered that she did that for us. <laughs> well, she probably does it a number of times a day and it's just automatic, depending on if it's too... I, I don't think, sure, no? I, are that many people going there? But she I, was waiting for us with a little clipboard and her name, yeah. you know, it was all, it seemed well rehearsed. Yeah, she's essentially like a tour guide rather than a, it was a salesperson. Tour, yeah. Yeah. So she was clearly trying to sell this 
manicured community vibe yeah. which is completely created on top of this private development which is Canary Wharf PLC mm. I mean again but that, that was a virtue oh it's you know 24 hour security guys there's no crisp packets outside your building <laughs> I quite like crisp packets outside <laughs> yeah. it's a sign of I life. like to drop my crisp packets well, it's <laughs> not into Leave do you know what I mean? It was, it's, you know, yeah, it's yeah. this like terrifying idea of never seeing what anything should... age or decay yeah. or like. And then I just think that that means you don't really feel at all connected to the environment you live in or something. I think that's the thing because you're, because you're living on purely private land, there's nothing public about this situation at all. Yeah, do which remember? means you take no. You, know, you don't invest yeah, anything it's, of yourself. It's, it's all just spoon fed to you. Even the idea of the city, the community. Yeah, you're like a big, stupid baby. And yeah, like and, yeah. <laughs> this is like this. This, this is your house where you. This is where you do your community bit. This your is where community you sit on the bit. Grass, you stay you know. on your thirteen-floor lounge. And it, the whole thing. And you know, she was saying that you. You look at it here. Like you, the, the third typology. Typology. It, it was basically it's designed that way so you don't get overlooked. So you're not, you don't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you you can't see your neighbours at all. Exactly, you can't see your neighbours at all. You're completely so alone. So you you only see your neighbours when you're doing the um, when you're doing the community bit. Go to the private lounge on the thirteenth floor. You know, members only lounge. It's just. Where's the affordable housing then? Oh, but she didn't mention that, but it doesn't strike me as something they would need to do. It was one of these blocks there, don't they? Maybe I think they must have to. But that claim that they had to do 30 to 40% is rubbish. I think You know, like, they usually get away with, like, 5% or something. They, they, they can negotiate. Yeah, they always get it down, right? You, and you, you say, oh, we'll build a gym or build a swimming pool or something that's open to the public, like, one hour a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, or there's, like, a gar- an outdoor space that's yeah, actually just, like, a little scrap of plastic grass or something. So this, we're going now to a co. Well, collective. Like, they call call themselves a co-living space called the collective. They have a few branches. Did they have one in New York? They I had think. one in New York. Yeah. They've got two or three in London, and they have some kind of working holiday retreat space in Lisbon. I think. It's crazy. So that you never have to take a break from work, but you can kind of feel like you're on holiday. Yeah, um, this one is, seems to me particularly interesting because they sort of market themselves really around the idea that you're living. With your with the community in the community, so you have, you know, yeah, it's to sort of play together and it's for watch grown TV up. Together. It's like student accommodation in a way, for isn't it? Like for yeah. adults, yeah, co-working, who, event space, service living, who want maybe yeah. easy rental situation, but also not having to commit properly to it's anything. It's such a glorification of the precarious working lifestyle, working and living lifestyle. Yeah. But then who, I mean, Canary Wharf doesn't strike me as a place where there's many kind of well, exactly. I mean, why gig workers or yeah. whatever. Well, I guess. Apart from the delivery. Yeah, I was say, well, they've got <laughs> but they some. can't afford to live here. No, I guess not. It's like 1500 for a studio apartment that I'm guessing is incredibly small. Well, like, I guess we'll find out, but yeah. But what's interesting about this place is, yeah, there seems to be... There's a different kind of marketing. It's really around that sort of creative community city living vibe. Yeah, and they and they make all these claims of like redefining living. I mean, what was it a global living community? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else do people do? It's being alive together. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Being alive. We're going to sell you the fact that you're alive. Together. Being alive in a room. But then I guess in a way, you know, the, the modern neoliberal capitalist society has kind of leached from us that ability. So 
is it any wonder it's been sold back to us because it's been absent for so long. Some yeah. bright spark or something. This is what we need. Yeah, but yeah. But instead of actually trying to... The thing we had already. Yeah, instead of trying to reduce the amount of kind of marketing and stuff which has caused it to disappear in the first place, they're Just offering it again but under the under this new marketised rubric. Yeah. And then the solution makes the problem worse. Well, exactly. And then so it's just the whole idea that neoliberalism is about the kind of implementation of the market onto everything, and that includes kind of living itself. How can this end, though? Badly. <laughs> bad. Very badly, indeed. Do you know where we're going? Uh, I do. Yes. I okay. Do. Sorry. I've just given up. Not quite canary wharf, really, is it? One pound lunch. Have you lunch for a pound? Thank you. What? Can't be true. Yeah, so it's not in Canary Wharf at all, we've now left the, the island. Yeah. Okay, well, there's one park, this one here, one next to it. Oh yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we're moving in soon, right? <laughs> she's very interested in our life cycle. She's very interested in what we wanted to... I know, like, surely... Why? That's not the most important thing, is it? She maybe she was getting at like market stuff. I think that's what it was. And it? I didn't really understand. Yeah, <laughs> so like, were we buying it to rent life or cycle? Well, she see, what interested in, like, they also never ask us anything about us. I always want to be like, come on, take an interest. I know that uh, that's kind of a waste of time, but I think I've been in there. So this is Cross Harbour, but they call it Canary Wharf. What did she say was coming? She's like, there's going to be. All these little restaurants, it would be like Covent Garden. Covent Garden, yeah. So it would be like nice. And Bone Daddy's. Village. Like a little village. A village, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, plenty of options for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> this place also do like, it's, it's like a hotel. You can stay for one night. I said we were looking to stay there for at least a year. And our I said our budget was way higher than I needed to say. <laughs> it's like three grand a month. The Collective is one of a number of large, trendy co-living developments in London and elsewhere that present their accommodation as a solution to the housing crisis and the relentless insecurity of private renting. With 4.8 million Britons now self-employed, co-living is pitched as a utopian response to a rapidly changing society. Of course, delve deeper in what appears as a cynical plot by developers to cash in on a generation's loneliness and precarity. So what does our website have to say? The Collective. Be more together. Join the global living movement. Discover co-living buildings designed to connect and inspire you through shared spaces and experiences. We're reimagining renting so you can live your best life. Our mission is to build and activate spaces that foster human connection and enable people to lead more fulfilling lives. We believe people can be more together. We empower members to co-create their experience while drawing from and building upon the surrounding community. We want to make a positive impact on every life we touch, offer a platform and a network, and harness the power of our global following for the benefit and growth of each person in it. We create spaces and experiences that drive personal and professional development, whether our members are 18 or 81. Stories of jobs won, businesses started, and friendships formed are what gets us up in the morning. We think the existing property sector is outdated and out of touch and that there is a vital role for companies like us in challenging the status quo and giving people more from their homes. 
we're constantly challenging ourselves to think bigger and hustle harder. We want to build a global network of co-living communities that's built on continuous learning, innovation and improvement. Yeah, so it's like a youth hostel type thing, hotel. I mean, it literally is a hotel. You can book it for a night. You can book it for it. It's a hotel. It's a long stay service department situation. And a long stay counts as like three months or Three more. months to, to a year, he said, didn't he? Yeah. I mean... If I was a student, it'd be great. If you're a really wealthy student, yeah. Yeah. Coming in from the other side of the world. Yeah. And just wanted something convenient and easy. And easy. If I was, you know, going to... It's kind of bizarre him yeah. leading us round and like we're observing these different groups of people working or kind of... Cooking. I don't know. Yeah, I felt like I was in a zoo of people watching. It was like hipster this zoo. Is, yeah, this is the chilling out zone. This is a the working zone. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a hotel. I mean, the, the, the website made it feel like a lot more of a sort of commune. Yeah. Whereas that to me is a, that's a sort of funky hotel. Yeah, it's not really... And just you, you can just happen to stay for three months. Yeah, I mean, sure, there's, yeah, there's obviously everything's a community, but that is a, just a large, evolving, uh, revolving community that you yeah, probably would never... Yeah, it's just basically, it's a kind of, yeah, it, it, it's, if you're backpacking. I mean, I don't know, did you backpack when you were... No, not between, really. I did it for a bit in Australia, and that's, you know, you'd go and stay like that. You'd, yeah. You know, you'd go out for an evening with the mates, and you'd, so yeah, if you needed yeah. to do some work, you did some work. It's... You know, that's, that's nothing new. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like marketed as this brand new way of... We're redefining the way we live as a global <laughs> community. No, you're not. What you've done there is you've created a, a sort of funky hotel that you can stay for a year in. Yeah. And in terms of... Well, I guess compared to a hotel, it's obviously cheap. But in terms of, like, what you're paying for the space you get... That, I mean, that's dreadful. You pay, like, 1400 a month the room, you get... The room is like a cupboard. Yeah, you the get room. a cupboard that's got everything you need crammed in. Oh, when you could be renting like a one-bedroom flat, yeah, it just that has rooms and space. But of course, you get your council tax and bills and everything included, so it's super easy. The more I think about it, the more dangerous I think it is because it's essentially marketing living as sort of this funky, fun, quirky <laughs> yeah. thing. It's like come and you know live, you know, which is one of the most fundamental, basic human rights that we could do, and like plant roots and join a community. But do it in a kind yeah. of funky six monthsy kind of way and then you can just fuck yeah, off back in to in a really cool city yeah, yeah. in this uh, really cool area called and he was like saying all your entrepreneurs and freelancers yeah people who are can't work afford from home um, no I just no no, no yeah no. it's for like freelancers digital nomads blah de blah it's kind of normalising that, 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 that lifestyle yeah it's which, like um, yeah. glamorising precariousness I guess is something which the creative which city loves to happens do. Happens a lot, <laughs> but I don't know. It was yeah. If I was 18, 19, or just come out of uni, you know, I was trying to work my way as a graduate in this place. Yeah, I could sit living there for a year, have some fun. Yeah. But to, to market it as something else beyond that, I think, is dangerous. Mm. Not dangerous, but it's it's basically like everything else in the city. So. Next. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> I'm still wondering who these people living at the collective are. Whilst cheaper than staying in a hotel, if you stay longer than four months that is, the price was still incredibly high for what is essentially a tiny room or truly micro apartment. 
and despite being branded as some kind of housing solution or rental revolution, I struggled to imagine anyone actually staying here longer than, say, six months to a year. The swimming pool, gym and communal spaces are somewhat seductive and appealing, but how long could one really live in this hotel-style setup, where every stylistic decision is made and one becomes a tiny cog in a large corporate branded living machine? It felt remarkably similar to the service departments I'd viewed in China that were part of large hotel chains, only with a younger, funkier, more youth-hostily vibe. Much like the WeWork co-living communities in New York and Washington DC, the collective seems to offer a similarly sinister experience of life being entirely encompassed by a single brand, not to mention literally living in a hotel with a revolving cast of up to 300 residents at any time. Whether or not the founders truly believe they are creating a residential utopia or not begs to be seen, but it's difficult not to be cynical about something proclaiming to be a global living movement. I want to finish with a quote from Ollie's book Against Creativity. And this individualization masters collectivism, fueled by the neoliberal ideology of the importance of the enterprising self, explains the rise of co-working spaces as the model working environment. They appeal because they hide the increasing individualization and related precariousness of work under a veneer of collectivity, with a seasoning of hipster kitsch subculture. These kind of spaces and the work they espouse are seen as critical by many urban and business leaders because they allow for the collision of different people, ideas and experiences. These spaces are eroding the barriers between work, rest and play. Indeed, from the perspective of employers, they are vital in reducing barriers to connectivity and collaboration. Collapsing the boundaries, physical and psychological, between the office, the home, the street, the cafe, and even the beds becomes a means of further profit generation. Asset Arrest will be back soon, returning once more to my Pearl River Delta region tour in December, just before the coronavirus outbreak. Till then, stay safe, stay healthy, stay home if you can, and don't forget to subscribe to Asset Arrest, share and support us on Patreon. You can also find all the references from this episode in the episode description. See you next time. Asset arrest, making contact, gaining access, asking questions, wasting time.